This is the Improve Photography Podcast, episode number 205. Today's episode is brought to you by Improve Photography Plus. Improve Photography Plus is Improve Photography's subscription website where you can get in-depth training from professional photographers uh, like me, like Nick Page, Connor Hibbs has trainings up there, Sandy Durow has trainings up there. Uh, we have tons, hours and hours of information. In addition to that, you have tons of Lightroom presets and downloadable contracts if you're starting a photography business and uh, backgrounds that you can use, the raw files that you can use uh, of skies to put in your photos and first crack at our meetups all around the world to do photography. So go check it out and do your free one week trial at improvephotographyplus.com. Well, today I'm joined by Miss Sandy Duro and Stephen Nolly, and today we have a bunch of different questions, so let's dive right in. The first question comes from a listener of Improve Photography Plus, uh, who says, does using, any, does using the silent shutter mode increase my chances of a sharper photo? He recently switched to silent shutter mode and was just wondering if it would produce less vibration um, or if you still have to follow the one over the focal length rule. Well, Sandy, I know this is one you've been playing with a little bit. Uh, what say you? Yeah, I actually, it's so ironic because I um, switched over to quiet mode today because I was shooting a PR event where I wanted to be a little bit more of an incognito fly on the wall. And um, I think, I, I, I don't know, I could be way off. I kind of felt like it was the opposite. It took a little longer to take the shot. And if it was a faster, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to say shutter speed, but whatever it is that makes it so that it's quieter and slower. Yeah, it's the mirror. Really- the mirror flaps up, then it waits a yeah. second, then the shutter goes. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it, I didn't like it. And on time, um, it slowed me down because I couldn't uh, take as many photos in a shorter amount of time. So I switched it right back to single shot. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 I don't need this. Well, I, I, I've used silent shutter mode quite a bit. Uh, I used it when I was uh, in college and I would photograph events like, you know, concerts, like piano concert, like it's dead silent. You can hear a pin drop and you're like, and people look at you like quiet that thing down. Uh, so it's a really useful thing or during a wedding ceremony. Uh, it's something that I actually use pretty regularly or if you're trying to take a photo incognito and you don't want people uh, to hear the the click of the shutter uh, it's a really useful thing i actually had a pretty similar experience to you sandy uh, that i didn't see any sharpness gain at all in fact it hurt me but it's just because of my bad behavior because if you're used to you know you press the shutter and then as soon as you hear the kachunk you're done right and so because there's that long that it's adding length to that sound there's kachunk you know it takes that extra second because <laughs> it's, it's flopping up the mirror and then the shutter click and then it closes the mirror. Um, mm-hmm. Then uh, I, just my muscle memory is I heard the clunk and so I'm done. Um, and so I was I was moving too quickly, uh, my hand. And so I had sharpness problems for that. But that's just bad behavior. That's not, you know, a perfect scenario by any means. How about you, Stephen? What do you think? You know, it's interesting. I remember with my DSLR, I remember trying uh, the the silent shutter modes, and I remember they weren't they were a little bit quieter. They weren't that much quieter for me. Like if if you're doing something sound sensitive, you're still going to hear uh, the camera going up. However, I have seen on the newer Fuji cameras uh, and some of the Sony cameras the electronic silent shutter mode, which yes. is completely one hundred percent silent. Yep. And, um, that is it blows my mind you could it you could be in a completely silent auditorium like during during a wedding or or a baptism and be taking picture after picture after picture and no one is hearing 
any kind of shutter sound at all. And I think it, it, it is definitely handy. I do think that the picture quality is not as good when you're just doing uh, the electronic shutter because you're going to have the, um, you're, you're subject to all the line scan. The, right. uh, the, but but it, it, whether it's a question of getting the shot uh, and uh, disturbing someone or getting something that's maybe not as good, but the entire event goes on undisturbed, uh, it's a fantastic feature. I'm crazy about it. Yeah, so there there are some cameras that have had problems with mirror flap. Uh, the Nikon D800, the original, was one of them. Uh, that there was a, a reduced sharpness from from mirror flap. Uh, you usually don't see it when you're you know at at one fiftieth of a second, one one hundredth of a second, one one thousandth of a second. It's too short for that vibration to make too much of a difference. But when you get down to those slower shutter speeds, um, you know one fifth of a second, one tenth of a second that's where you can really see that difference from the mirror flap um, and so quiet shutter if you have a camera that's prone to this problem i i think definitely can help um, but most cameras you know this is something they're carefully engineering to get around uh, is that that problem with with this mirror flap and so quiet shutter is really just lengthening the time between mirror up and shutter um so yeah i think it could help on some of those cameras on most cameras especially made in the last couple of years not so much of an issue uh, the other thing i wanted to mention uh steven is uh the the electronic shutter on the fuji cameras and some other cameras have it as well really is awesome it's a neat feature to have i mean mm -hmm. it's as quiet as your cell phone uh there's yeah. just just no i mean the cell phones you know make the fake shutter but but <laughs> except for that you know if you turn that off uh, there, there's just really no sound and so for that concert for the wedding something like that it's awesome uh, so the difference is if you're not aware of this uh, if any of the listeners aren't uh, you know usually there's a physical mechanical shutter on our cameras and that's what's making our click uh, but this is it just tells the the sensor hey turn on and record stop recording and there's it's not the the physical shutter it's just turning it off and on very quickly to make a shutter it's not it's not as accurate it's there are scanning problems as you're going between those lines um but uh, but the promise is there um and it's really useful in some situations so that's a little bit about our uh, quiet shutter could help i guess if you have one of those cameras that's, that's prone to the issue all right, the next uh, topic we're going to talk about is Affinity Photo. Steven, you've been testing this out. What do you think of it? Yeah, you know, I, so I was one of the beta testers for the original Affinity Photo. Um, for those of you who don't know Affinity Photo, it's, it's an alternative to Photoshop. Um, the idea is that Photoshop's been around 20, 30 years, and every, uh, every improvement, any gener every generation of uh, upgrades on Photoshop just makes it a little bit better. Uh, but the architecture, the underlying code that creates Photoshop is still a very old architecture. Um, so the people at Affinity Photo, they decided to, from the ground up, if we're going to use today's computers and today's technology, what can we do to make this run faster? Because um, I, I know a lot of people have mentioned that when they make changes in Lightroom, they can see those changes and it puts less stress on their computer than when they're actually using Photoshop. And that's due to that, that computer architecture that's a little bit more dated in Photoshop. Um, so the idea is that Affinity Photo is uh, a newer architecture. It's built from the ground up to be completely different. Here's what I noticed, though. Um, 
if you know how to use Photoshop, there are going to be a lot of things that seem very easy in Affinity Photo. Like yeah, I, I'm I'm looking at it right now, and and I've tested a little bit before. It looks exactly like Photoshop Elements, is what I would say. It doesn't mm. look quite like Photoshop, but Photoshop Elements, it looks really really similar to it. So so the learning curve isn't too bad, just because the interface is pretty similar. Right. Yeah. If you know how to use Photoshop, you're going to recognize a lot of these buttons, a lot of these features. Some of the features are built in, which is is, is really great. Um, however, if you already know Photoshop, you're probably you probably already have Photoshop. It's probably already built into your workflow. Um, and the thing about Photoshop is it comes with like everything else from Adobe. So you have the entire creative cloud. It's really nice to have the integration with all the other apps so yeah, I don't what know, is I'm, that like what is it like to pass photos from lightroom to affinity photo on back uh it's basically you're you're exporting uh you would have to you would have to export it as a, a tiff or a psd from lightroom uh, that's the other thing affinity photo will work with psds so it will work it won't it won't completely disrupt your workflow does it um, can it save as a psd Yes. Or can it just as far open as a PSD? I, as far as I know, it can say, yeah, it's it's saving as a PSD as well. Um, so it's it's definitely very usable. What I like about it is that it's 40 bucks. You only pay it one time. That's cool. And so far, all the updates have been free. And they just came out with 1.5 for Mac users. Uh, and, oh, so the really cool thing that I really love about Affinity Photo is the blending modes have a live view. So if anyone's uh, kind of started experimenting with Photoshop, they know one of the things that is uh, to really get the most out of Photoshop and layers is using the blending modes, the the the, uh, the overlay or the screening modes and things like that. With Affinity, as you hover through them, it gives you a live preview. And that mm, can that's be cool. very, very, uh, it's very, very cool to see, you know, what, what effect am I going through? And you can just preview it live. Um, Okay, so give us a verdict here, Stephen. Like, let give it to us straight. <laughs> Are you tempted to switch? Are you tempted to say I'm done with Photoshop? I don't. That, Long that's, pause. That's, 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 I, I don't think I can give up Photoshop. Photoshop is like if I'm finishing a project, if I know it has to be good, I'm going to Photoshop. And because uh -huh. I trust Photoshop and I know Photoshop and it's everything, it's everything that I need. I can't, I can't give it up. If I was just learning today and I didn't know Photoshop and I'm like, oh, I kind of want to learn Photoshop, I might be tempted to go straight into Affinity Photo instead. And what would be your, your main reasoning that it's uh, quicker to get started or what's the main draw here? It's it's quicker get it's quicker to get started and there's less of a financial uh, investment at the front. Okay, yeah. Well, the financial investment is is definitely true, but but I mean, if you're if you're getting the the you know Lightroom and Photoshop together, you know you're already paying for Lightroom and stuff, so it's not it's not too bad. But uh, but yeah, I mean, anytime you can get a one time payment for something, always better, right? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if I was already, let's say I got a Sony camera and they gave me Capture One for free with my Sony camera. And so I've already got some sort of catalog management system. I might do it. I might do it for 40 bucks, get my Photoshop right there as Affinity Photo instead of the uh, the real Photoshop. Very cool. Well, Sandy, today you wanted to talk a little bit about how photographers can work better uh, with stylists. Tell us what you're thinking there. Well, I just kind of noticed that photographers, we feel that we 
should do everything and control everything. But when you have a stylist around, I feel like the collaborative uh, feeling there produces such a better product. And of course, I worked with stylists in the past, but this last weekend I was doing a food shoot and I worked with a food stylist. And it was the first food stylist that I worked with where we just, we were totally um, in sync and it was amazing. How how does one become a food stylist? Like they're not a chef, they're a food stylist, right? Well, some of them started, some of them started. I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. She's a stylist in general. She'll do a lot of styling for like um, uh, resort rooms, make sure everything looks perfect. Ironing bed sheets to make them, you know, super flat. But um, for the food part of it, she like what she brought was incredible and it made my image more than it could ever be, even if I had a week to work on it. You know, well, it, do was, tell. it was what did just you, What did so she bring? What, what kind of tips and, and things did she add to the shoot? So she had this, <laughs> she had this really awesome apron and she would have like a little pocket for everything. She had her little glycerin and water solution mix and just water. She's like and the Mary Poppins of food styling. Oh, it was amazing. She had tweezers in there and then she had um, a bunch of like wax to set stuff up and prop it towards the light more. And she just got it because she's been working with food photographers before. She knew where the light was. She she knew what composition we were going for. She knew how to, how to um, you know, put colors in certain ways that were uh, the most appealing. And she, uh, like I, I did something wrong where everything was in a straight line. She goes, no, that you don't want to do that. That's, that's bad. So she put it in a different line. Um, and then she had had, you know, like we had cilantro and she would pick the perfect cilantro. Um, as far like what we were doing, you didn't see anything crazy, you know, like where they use mashed potatoes for ice cream. We weren't doing anything like that. Um, but again, it was just, it was, I was just more excited about it because it, we were like a team and, and I just, I don't think that I could ever work without a food stylist now. <laughs> I've been spoiled. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So, you know, I, I think that's true in, in a lot of areas of photography that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you're, you know, just doing a model shoot, it's easy to say, you know, ah, I'll do your makeup or just do your makeup before you come and things. And there are a lot of awesome creatives out there that are just as interested in building a portfolio as you are in photography. Uh, I, I, I many times have, you know, you know, been looking for, for a shoot and, you know, you contact a, a model and say, Hey, you know, I'm just doing this to build my portfolio. You can have the photos and, and, uh, I'll get your modeling services and, you know, talk to a, a hairstylist too and say, Hey, you know, I, I'll give you your, the photos so you can use it in your portfolio, you know, for people that are interested in weddings or school dances, whatever. Uh, and same thing with a, a makeup artist. It's, it's awesome to be able to get that, that kind of relationship together when you're, when you do have people that are in the right situations that it really is benefiting everybody, you know, a professional photographer may have different needs where they'd rather just pay for it so that they can use the photos. But, um, but when you're in that building phase, there's so many opportunities that can really help everybody. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of photographers are afraid to reach out or again, they want to control everything and they think that they're supposed to be, you know, everything in that shoot. And no, you're in charge of lighting and making sure that the composition is good and let's let somebody else help you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There are are so many pictures out there, especially where it's just a photographer and a model. And it's, it's a nice, pretty picture of a model. If you get a makeup artist in there or a, a, a wardrobe a stylist, you can do some really gorgeous, creative things that are not going to look like everyone else's picture mm-hmm. of a pretty girl. Mm-hmm. It really does take it, your photography to the next level. 
Yeah, it, I, it's definitely an area. And same thing with, uh, you know, fashion designers, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, a clothing designer, something like that. A great way, you know, hey, can I use this dress for the uh, for this shoot? And then you have the photos to, to advertise it. There are just so many opportunities. Or same thing with locations. Uh, there are some awesome locations that you can get into a city, you know, old buildings and things like that, uh, just by offering your photos as collateral uh, to be able to uh, to get in there. So, Jim, on the workshops that that you've done with the models, like the one with the dress and everybody was pulling the pieces, did you have um, just assistance there or did you have anybody that was um, helping kind of stylize or look for things going on? It was pretty quick, wasn't it? Well, uh, I, I guess I'm I'm a little bit of a of a different situation because whenever almost any time I shoot there are other photographers that that want to be there just to kind of follow along with the shoot and i like that too i like shooting with the group uh so you know even if i'm shooting locally if i'm doing something i'll post on a i have a little facebook group for boise area photography lovers uh, and so i'll usually post and say hey i'm doing the shoot uh tonight if anybody wants to come you know it's free you can pick up things and 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 usually people you know, one person will hold the light, another person will do this, and and so mm-hmm. I, I I guess I'm a little bit of a different case because every time I shoot, it's with a group. It's rare that I that I'm shooting alone, but gotcha. but anybody can do that same thing. You know, uh, you know, get get a couple photo friends, go to a local camera club and make some friends. There's so many people like everyone listening to this podcast that you know, if somebody said, hey, I'm doing a really cool shoot tonight, uh, come come help me with it, and you can shoot photos too. Uh, it's a couple times I've, I've heard comments on the podcast saying, Oh, you guys always say, especially on portrait session, people say, Oh, you guys always shoot with an assistant, but how do I do it without one? I don't, I can't pay for an assistant. It's like, (laughs) well, I I can't pay for 10 assistants for that shoot. You know, we had 10 people working on that shoot that you mentioned, Sandy. I can't Mm -hmm. pay for 10 people for one shoot either, Uh, but it's about just networking and working with other people. There are a lot of people that would be interested in, in working with you. I see. Okay. Well, I mean, in that case, you're right. You do have, you know, 10 pairs or more of eyes to see things that maybe if something was off or out of place, they'd say, hold on, hold on. And I'll give a shout out uh, for that shoot. Uh, We used dreamshootrentals.com. This is Lindsay Adler's business um, that she, uh, we've had her on the podcast before and she told us about this business before she launched it. Um, And then I've used it. uh, I've used it since then. She just has these, I mean, you know, you look at photos sometimes on Pinterest or on 500px of like these incredible, crazy dresses and stuff. And you think, well, yeah, that'd be a cool shoot. But where do I get that? You know, I don't live in New York in the fashion district. How am I going to get this? And they're all there and they're not very expensive to rent uh, for a special shoot. So, you know, boy, if you're, you know, you're doing, um, you know, senior portraits or something, everybody's doing the same stuff everybody's doing the right, same stuff right. you take the girl to the park you throw your aperture at f 2.8 you get shallow depth of field with generally nice lighting she smiles she turns her shoulder a little bit away from the camera and click right mm-hmm. uh and boy if you're the photographer who's renting out you know spending a little bit of money and renting out a crazy amazing dress uh Word's going to get around the local high school pretty quick <laughs> if you're doing something different. So uh, there, there are just so many ways to, to differentiate yourself. And often it's by working with others and seeing what others can add to your, to your photography. Exactly. Very cool. Good topic, Sandy. 
Well, we have lots more to share with you on this episode of the podcast. But before we do that, we want to take a second and thank Blurb uh, for sponsoring this episode. Blurb.com slash improve is where you can go to get a, a, a photo book. Uh, I've used Blurb before many times in the past. And Connor Hibbs uses them very regularly. He said he orders about a book a month from them. Um, they make really nice professional quality photo books. You can use them for clients as a photographer. Awesome Christmas gift uh, to give to a, a spouse uh, or parents. Parents are always so hard to shop for. Do you guys have the same problem that I do? Like I can shop for my wife, the kids, easy, but then I get to my parents and it's like, oh no, what am I going to do? Is it just me? <laughs> well, you, you can't get them anything tech related unless you're willing to offer tech support. Exactly. Yeah, right? Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. a photo book uh, is a great solution for your presence. Still time to get your order in. Uh, if you go to blurb.com slash improve and then use offer code improve to get 25% off your order and we thank them for their support of the podcast okay we had an interesting question came in this week on facebook we're going to sanitize a little bit of this because we don't we don't really want to add any controversy to the show it's christmas time we don't we don't do controversy this time of year um but uh, one of our listeners on on uh on facebook asked cody james cook asked um he said he's a student at a university and there's a controversial event happening and he wants to photograph said controversial event at the school and he is concerned about one what other people will think if he photographs this event uh, and also for the legality it is what he said he said could i be held liable either from the school or private individuals for photos where they can be recognized so he's taking pictures of other people at this controversial event and then publish it, publishing the photos and he's just worried about how that could be used uh, his main concern is if an article uses the photos and that article is defamatory um it could could he get in trouble for it H have any of you faced a, a situation like this <laughs> Not exactly. I mean, we do like if I, I always wondered with event photography, if somebody hires me to do events or go to a convention and there's people that are easily recognizable, um, especially, I don't know, in Vegas, if some, somebody sees their husband at a convention in Vegas, they might wonder what he's doing there. If he said that he was somewhere else, I don't know. But it's never been an issue where we have, cause you can't go get model releases from everybody or, you know, for them to use it for their magazine their whatever to promote the convention. Um, but I've never heard of it being, a problem especially um you know if it's new, if it's considered news yeah I, i'm interested to hear what you guys say i've done photos at events they were they were uh branded event it was for it was for a company and so there was a notice posted as people are entering that their likeness can be used but it was also uh, more of a there was a, a commercial aspect to it this being i mean it's this is this is newsworthy so it's you know, it's a public space. There's no expectation of privacy. Um, I, I, I think he's in the clear. I think he's he's completely in the clear. He's also concerned about uh, who uses his photos and and what kind of uh, you know if if it gets published by one article and they're very uh, they speak negatively of the event and another article speaks positively. How much uh, how much liability he he bears on that? Um, that I have no idea. Yeah, well, I guess I'm I'm with you, Stephen. That I, you know, he's taking photos of a clearly 
a newsworthy event. I mean, this is a controversial thing. He said there's there's mm-hmm. been a lot of argument about it. It's in a public space. You know, we're photographing news in a public place where people have no expectation of privacy. So go and click. No problem whatsoever. This is not an issue. The, the problem here is how the photos are used. So let's say this is, uh, well, and I guess one more thing that I'll add is if there is any kind of admission to get in there. So, you know, uh-uh. yes, uh, it, it may be newsworthy that the 49ers played the Cowboys, but that doesn't mean you can just take, fo- take photos however you want uh, because, you know, they're going to have rules in the stadium of, of, that, of how that could be. But absent that, we'll assume that's not our, our issue here. It doesn't sound like absent that going click isn't the problem the photo is just how the problem is how those photos are used so in sandy's scenario scenario you're taking photos at a convention let's say uh since you live in in vegas and in convention city sandy um and we won't call it sin city we'll call it convention city yeah that's Um, pretty much what it is now Um, you know, you can take those photos, give it to the event organizer. The event organizer then uh, is the one who has to make decisions about how they're used. You know, if they put that person's face, you know, in the crowd enjoying the conference uh, on their website to advertise next year's conference. Well, yeah, that's clearly a problem because now they're using somebody's likeness to advertise um, something else. Usually events like that are going to have somewhere um, in their in their fine print saying, ah, you know, by attending this, you know, you're allowing us to use uh, the likeness. If you're just taking photos of the event and they're just, you know, maybe sharing this on their Facebook page and just saying, here's a photo of the conference. This happened. Eh, more of a gray area. I, I can't say that I'd be certain uh-huh. there, but I'd probably not have an issue with it because it is news. It's an event that happened and you're just saying it happened. Putting it on your website with ads. I, I mean, it's it's going to get into a, a blurrier area depending on, on how commercialized we're making this. Uh, if we're starting to appropriate that person's likeness. Uh, but uh, to, the, to this listener that asked the question, I think you're easily in the clear here and the other issue i want to bring up is he's worried about how this is going to reflect on him photographers have 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 recorded the worst events in history for gener- for generations right and when i see a f- somebody who photographs a horrible thing that happens i don't tie the photographer and say wow you're supporting that horrible thing no you're bringing awareness to what's happening mm-hmm. so i, I don't mm-hmm. think he needs to worry about that can I add one more thing to that? And I, and I think you briefly um, talked about it a little bit, but it, so I just want to be very clear. If he if he took these, he couldn't then put them on his website for promotion for himself, right? So how would he? How would you recommend that he share his work and and say, look at this, this what I got? Yeah, so no, just yeah. don't even go there. Well, no, I I think it's okay. I think I think it's just a little bit of a gray area. You just have to be careful how you're using it. You know, same thing. Let's say we take senior portrait photos of somebody, um, and usually in a contract, we're gonna say, you know, you know, you're allowing me to use your image on my website to advertise my services, etc. But let's say you don't have that clause in there. I, I don't think you're really in trouble just by sharing those photos. Uh, it just depends on on how commercialized you make that use of the photo. Uh, just by saying, you know, this is something that happened. This is a photo I took uh, is very different than, you know, book your session now. Uh, I can give you photos like this. Uh, so it, it is a little bit of a gray area. Uh, but here where it's very where it's very newsworthy, I, I think that's that's uh, clearly pushes it the other direction. 
So here's here's another question. So let's say he takes these pictures, he gives them to his school newspaper, uh, and he writes an article with one opinion. Um, Can his photos then be used by another online news source with those same photos? Are they considered newsworthy newsworthy enough to use fair use as a defense for an opposing article? Does he get to say how his pictures are being used? Good question. Yeah, yeah, uh, you definitely can. Uh, otherwise, news photographers would just have no protection over their photos. You know, yeah. if, if the Associated Press has a photographer um, at, at a basketball game photographing, uh, the guy from Sports Illustrated can't just go grab his photo. Uh, you definitely yeah. have protection over it. Well, a great topic. There, there's obviously a lot of, of gray area um, in here, but hopefully that provides a little bit of direction of something that you can, um, can, uh, can research a little bit more and decide what you want to do there. Uh, well, in every episode, uh, 205 episodes, we have always left you with a doodad of the week, and today will be no different. Uh, so uh, let's get, throw this one over to Sandy. What's your doodad this week? So um, this, it's it's a lens. I've been in, in the market for a macro lens for a long time and I've rented a couple and I was going to buy one that was about $1,000. But then I went to the Improved Photography Lens Finder Woo-hoo. and found the, yeah, found the Tokino 100 millimeter macro yeah. um, for about $400. And I love this lens. It's great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So that's the lens finder. You can go to improvephotography.com, click on recommended gear, and then it'll ask you a series of questions and and push you over to a page that'll show our recommendations on our favorite lenses for that. Uh, I will also mention that Brent Rents Lenses is going to be taking over the lens finder and updating a lot of things uh, and adding his opinions, some areas where he's disagreed with me on lenses. Uh, He's obviously our resident expert. uh, So I'm excited to see uh, even more updates getting into that uh, the next year. And Sandy, great choice on the the lens. Uh, The interesting thing about macro lenses is sharpness doesn't matter so much in a macro lens. I know that sounds like heresy. Sharpness doesn't matter with the lens. But the thing is, we're getting to such fine detail already um, that it, it doesn't matter as much as with a normal lens because we're, it, the details are so puny already um, that I think a lot of people overpay on macro lenses for example let me let me explain this a little bit more because this is sounding bad (laughs) how do you test the sharpness uh, of a lens well usually what we'll do is you can photograph a lens target they will have you know a series of lines and they'll they'll be spread out and then those lines get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and at some point they just they all interconnect in their one line right well if you have a really high high dpi very finely professionally printed chart um, what you do is you take a picture of that of that lens chart um, and then you see how far you know zoom in in the picture and see how far far along that line you can go before uh, those separate uh, lines on the page have just converged that they all just look like one blurry line well that's that doesn't really work on a macro lens right because a macro lens uh, you you can't really print a a chart that's going to be fine enough that a macro lens isn't going to be able to do it because you're showing up such fine little details that's what i'm talking about I went off on a tangent, didn't I? Cool lens, <laughs> okay. Sandy. Awesome. That makes, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you have for us, Stephen? Uh, I have the Amazon Fire tablet. Now, right now, just in time for Christmas, uh, it's on sale for $39.95. You know what? I, I, 
I, I actually have two of these. I bought one just, just recently and I bought one last year too. It's 40 bucks. It's, it's a tablet that runs on Android. Um, if you're expecting an iPad or an iPad mini, it's not going to be one of those. It's, it's really not going to hold up for that. However, if you have a camera that has any kind of Wi-Fi capability, or if you have uh, an SD card like a Flash Air or, uh, or a, a Mobi card, um, these are fantastic as ways to get a larger viewfinder on your camera. It's a it's a five inch tab, a seven inch tab, excuse me, seven inches, and you can see exactly what your camera is seeing. And for forty bucks, it's the best accessory you can get just to get this huge honking screen for your camera. You can be you know five feet away looking at something. You can put your camera down on the table and uh, adjust it and be looking at your screen. If you have a client, you can give it to them so they can see what's going on. Um, I mean, for forty bucks, you just can't go wrong. Yeah, very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, well, I've got to talk quietly about my my doodad this week because my wife is in the room right next to where I record this podcast and I'm giving it to her for Christmas. So this is the Henge Dock. It's H-E-N-G-E. Um, and basically this is a way for you to set up a, um, a computer station for your laptop. Um, and there are a lot of these docks, right, that you just basically set your, uh, you know, connect your la- laptop up to the dock and then uh, you have the wires from the dock, you know, going to your your printer, to your uh, to your computer monitor, to your external hard drive, to whatever. Um, and, and and so the the real advantage of this is that it's quick. You know, you just set your laptop and and boom, you're set up. It's basically a desktop now. Well, this is just a really beautiful one. Um, uh, you can get them on Amazon. It's H E N G E. Um, and so if you are a photographer on the go and you like to use a laptop because you're traveling, you're, you know, doing whatever you like, the portability of a laptop, you like to be able to edit on your couch while you're watching Netflix. Um, then this is perfect because then you can still set up a really nice, you know, 27 inch monitor, buy one for 200 bucks. Um, and you get your, your computer Mac or PC and you just boom, put it in the dock and you're totally ready to go. Uh, so th- there are a lot of these. I like this one cause it's quick and it's beautiful. Um, but, uh, definitely recommended check out if you're wanting to, uh, set up a, um, kind of a workstation for a, a laptop for photographers. So pretty cool. Well, thank you everybody for joining us on this episode of the improved photography podcast. I really appreciate your support. Hope everybody has a very Merry Christmas and we will see you in another seven days. Bye.